So this is the last episode. Um, what? You didn't know? No one told me. You didn't listen to last week's episode? No. Of course not. Like, I'm the only one that listens to the episodes. Do we get a kind of uh, compensation? Do we get, um, what is it, like a, what is it, like a package? How about this, Tori? Oh, a redundancy I'll package. You, I'll give you a solid thumbs up over the Zoom stream. Oh, How about well, that? Well, it's like the most affection you've ever given me ever. Yeah. Yeah. In our loveless relationship, <laughs> yeah. this is... This is this it. This solid is the peak. thumbs up is yeah. uh, as good as it's going to get. So enjoy yeah. it. Hey, it's I'll more than I get. Another one here. Double Whoa, thumbs up. Oh, double wow. thumbs. See how high those thumbs are. I thought yeah? that only existed in Hollywood romances. Nah, nah. Hey, wow. Finger guns. No. Finger guns. Yeah. Okay, now too far, too far. That's <laughs> a bit too much. Yeah. Oh, is it too yeah, too yeah. too much affection? Yeah. Yeah, you got to work your way into it. The other thing is no one listening to this can enjoy enjoy my finger guns, but that's well, okay. They, I mean, apart from the fact that they're listening to us for our final episode, they haven't earned it yet. Right, yeah. Yeah, 136, 137 episodes in, still haven't earned the finger guns. That's right. Do we have to yeah. make a, an even 150 for them to listen to to earn the finger guns? Well, you know where they might be able to see my finger guns? Where's uh, that, Ben? Is my new employer, uh, which is largely, not entirely, but largely why of Dyson DM sadly uh, has to come to a close is because as alluded to last week, um, I was offered a full-time job as a content creator, a D&D specific content creator with a company called Ghostfire Gaming. Um, so I'll be creating all sorts of uh, things very soon for them, uh, which is really, really exciting. Um, uh, so if you want to follow along with what I'm doing uh, in the near and far future, um, go check out Ghostfire Gaming because, yes, I will be working for them. Um, Another example of us giving a shameless plug for something else that we're working on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, why, why change the, the formula now? Yeah, I guess you got me there. So hello and welcome to the final episode of Dice and DMs, a weekly podcast where we talked about Dungeons and Dragons and other role-playing games, but mostly Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, <laughs> we tried to move on to other topics. We really I, did. We did. It didn't always happen, but we, we did a pretty good job we most tried. of the time. Uh, it was appreciated when we did. But I am your host, Jeremy. I'm your resident player, Tori. And I have been your dungeon master, Ben. Oh, past tense, man. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we thought we would, well, thank everyone for listening for so long, but also talk a little bit about what Dungeons and Dragons and role-playing games have meant to us, what we have learned along the way, the friends we've made, and just how, how it has affected our lives, um, whether our opinions on the game have changed over the years, and still why we play, because that was what this podcast was always about. It was about talking about the game and what role-playing can do for us. Mm. Um, so before I get too maudlin about it, Ben, what have you learned? On oh, me first. Yeah. Yeah, Tori's tearing up, I can see, so I didn't want to throw <laughs> her in, in the deep end. But Ben, as we know, has a stone-cold heart and is not affected by emotion at all, which is why he makes such a great dungeon master. Uh, he makes everyone else cry and not himself. Yeah. So we thought, yeah, you get to go first. Yeah, look, I mean, Dungeons & Dragons has been transformational, um, you know, to my life in many, many ways. Um, and it's a bit of a shame because I haven't been able to, like, this is going to sound really morbid. I haven't really enjoyed playing D&D for a little while now. And it's because it's, and I know that might make me sound like a bit of an imposter, but it's because it's been my job for the better part of at least two years. I mean, it's been my job for three or four years now, but... 
um, it's been an increasing part of my sort of professional life um, so that, you know, I, I actually miss the early days of playing D&D with the home group when I wasn't getting paid to do it because that was, I mean, that's where my fondest memories of playing the game were and that's when I was doing it out of a pure sense of love and, and passion for it. So in terms of turning your hobby into a, a profession, the one thing I'd say, I think there's a lot of pressure in our gig economy, in our modern economy for for millennials and, and um uh, I don't think I'm a millennial. I think I'm a Generation Y or whatever. But anyway, the point being that there's ben, a lot of pressure to turn your hobby Millennials into are a... Generation Y. Oh, are they the same thing? Okay, yes. cool. Uh, I thought they were different. Is there Generation Z? Is that the next one? Yeah, that's the new yeah, one. You're not yeah. one of those. Not the point. The point being that, you know, we you, we were raised with a bit, you can be whatever you want to be. And if you, if you, you know, do something you love for a profession, you'll never work a day in your life. and Because no one's hiring. Because no one's hiring. I mean, <laughs> I think that that's a, a bit of a lie anyway. The the one sort of warning that I would put out there is that I haven't lost my passion for D&D at all. I still think it's a great uh, storytelling and communal experience, but it's not what I do to relax and for fun anymore. Mm. Um, and so my best memories of playing D&D are honestly when we were playing D&D and we haven't played consistently for like a year and a half now mm. um, Fuck as COVID. a group uh, together. Yeah. Well, look, a whole bunch of played, reasons. But... Let's, let's, let's be honest. We have played, but we haven't played, you know, consistently. Like you said, consistently. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, uh, you know, D&D. Uh, I was in a space, to kind of take it back, I was in a space where... I was teaching um, casually as a, as a casual relief teacher. I was that guy who you try to make cry uh, every class. Um, who you <laughs> or change like, your name. Yeah, or change yeah. my name. Or say, yeah, um, we can go get chips from the shop. It's fine. Just to give us a note to say we're allowed to be off school, school ground. It's okay. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, it's fine if we do that. We're, we need to go early, sir, because no, of... I'm freedom. allowed to smoke. My mum said so. Yeah, yeah here's my note. <laughs> Anyway, um, that's what I was doing when I started playing D&D and was in a, in a situation where I was like, well, what, what do I do now with my life? Because I've got the degree, I've got money coming in, I've got the partner in Tory. Um, <laughs> uh, I've kind of got my checklist of things kind of ticked off. Um, what else do I do now? Um, and D&D kind of evolved into that thing, starting as a hobby that I threw every kind of spare moment I had in every day into creating the the first few campaigns that I ran, which became the campaigns that I ran professionally. Um, forged some, you know, they say you don't really make a lot of long-term friends after you've hit sort of, you know, your late 20s, early 30s. After that, it's, you know, you kind of, you, you calcify your your friendship circles. Yeah, you reduce, reuse, you recycle. Yeah, I, I don't think that's true at all. I mean, uh, we've had some uh, very good friends come into our life. Uh, Jeremy, you know, among them who oh, uh, we we would not have met were it not for Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. And Stephen, who was in our D&D uh, &D group or is in our D&D &D group, who were very close with Stephen and Elise, we would not be as close with them if it was not for D&D &D because I knew Stephen for a few years beforehand but hadn't really hung out with him consistently for a while. He'd be like that person that I'd catch up with maybe once to three times a year, you know? Um, and honestly, same with Aaron, who's who's one of my closest friends. So, you know, when I think of my fondest memories of playing D&D, it is those early days of playing with you guys um, and, you know, getting to self-express and explore stories and shocking you and making Tori cry when I killed everyone and... Uh, 
um, you know, the, the videos of, um, you know, some of those early campaigns during particular tense moments that we took around the table. Um, that's definitely my fondest memories of, of, of playing D and D. So, uh, you know, and then obviously starting this podcast and, and turning it into a profession, um, has not been a bad thing. I don't mean to give that impression if, if, if I am, um, but, uh, just has changed my relationship with the game, I suppose. Mostly for the positive, it feels like. That, I mean, yeah, I can play D and D all day and still buy groceries at the end of the week. That's hard to complain. No, you can never complain about that. Groceries are good. <laughs> yeah. And Tori, do you have a rebuttal for um, being a rebuttal? Cons- considered part of the checklist for Ben's life? Nah, fuck D and D. Fuck it. <laughs> bullshit. All these years have been for nothing. Nothing. We didn't um, even get to finish a campaign out of it. Jeez. Yeah, I know, right? You guys yeah. finished three campaigns. One of those was a complete party kill. We didn't kill. finish them. <laughs> That's finishing it. <laughs> if everybody everybody dies at the end, is still an ending. It's true. Go back and listen to our episode on endings for more information. We didn't, we didn't finish the Selvasura one. No, that's true. Yeah. Okay, you didn't finish every campaign, but you did finish three campaigns. And isn't it interesting that you pr- plan to kill kill us all for that one anyway? So there you go. <gasps> yeah, that's true. Yeah, just trying to get you before you get us. You know. It's I mean, I say spoilers, it. but going into one of Ben's campaigns, you're pretty certain that your character will die if everybody else doesn't. Yours will. That is true. Yeah, that yeah. is true. Which is why I'm yeah. surprised you never ran Call of Cthulhu for us. <laughs> Oh, he tried. He was trying to think of ideas <laughs> for me, like for us and everything just kept coming up short. Um, oh, okay. Well, you did. That's what you told me. You couldn't think of a, a good enough storyline. Oh, I just, it was more, I couldn't be bothered learning a, um, <laughs> an entire new system just for one game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, classic Ben. Well, that's a good <laughs> point then, Tori, that you have enjoyed D&D with us. Um, Who told you? <laughs> it, it were the drawings that I've seen from our multitude of games over the years have kind of implied that you enjoyed them just a little bit. Yeah, just a little. Just a know. little bit. But also that the other games that we've looked into, the other role-playing games like The Witcher and Call of Cthulhu haven't really struck mm. you for the same elements. So what is it about D&D and what is it about the games that we've been playing that you enjoy so much? What have you brought Brought yeah, to what, what have you brought to this company, Tori? I mean, really, at the end of the day, what have you enjoyed most? What has D&D role-playing games brought to you? Well, for the record, I um, didn't mind The Witcher. Um, I thought that the um, the gameplay, like the mechanics of it, was a bit needed some tinkering um, and haven't had the chance to play Cthulhu. So there you go. You might like them just as much. Um okay. Uh, but yeah, D and D for me had been a method of escapism to an extent, but also of dealing with a lot of um, hard times through gaming. Um, it has also been a way to, I think, boost my confidence a lot, um, especially in public speaking. I used to be very um, shy with respect to that and i think that dnd helped a lot in terms of me being okay to speak in public because i mean i didn't know you from a bar of salt jeremy and it's like this creep coming in you can, know yeah, can, can, we add, um, can we add um another toryism which is a bar of salt 
Did I say that? <laughs> yeah. That's what I Did heard. I say bar of salt. I meant soap. I'm so sorry. Which is so much sorry. more like me. I much more like soap than salt. No, bar of salt uh, still makes sense. Kind of. Either way, I yes, mean, look, just some creepy you, guy from the internet who shows up at the table if you can't with, tell a the with a bar of salt. With a bar of salt, which I carry everywhere. If you can't tell the difference between a bar of soap and a bar of salt, that maybe the analogy works, you know. Either way, probably don't bite into either. Yeah, I well, that's exactly. I'm salt. sure that the salt, salt can probably clean you, like exfoliate and everything oh, yeah. like that. Yeah, so, salt's very clean. Yeah. It's true. So it's true. I stand by my bar of salt. You can get moisturized um, with salt infused in it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's been it's been really nice. I think I said I said to Ben though one to, if I'm being honest, one thing that has affected these podcasts for me was that we haven't played in so long. Mm. So I feel a bit like a um, what's it called a fraud. Um, sure. because uh, I'm the resident player, but the player hasn't played in. <laughs> Fuck, how long now? Like, yeah. when's the last game? Probably about three months ago? Something like that. And I don't think yeah. Ben was even the person running it then. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, that's the, you know, like I said before, me getting a new job is not the only reason that the, the podcast is ending. I think that we're well, sort of losing It was also it your fault that we weren't playing. So it all really comes back to you, Ben. Oh, look, I didn't say it wasn't my fault. I just said that the new job wasn't the only reason. There's a lot yeah. of things. This is what we find in a lot of cases with role-playing games and just general games in general that life gets in the way. But um, it has been amazing and I've loved these podcasts and I'm going to be sad to see it go. Um, but I think what D&D does really well is that it bolsters your friendships and I know I've got friends from for life from D&D, you know. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think you can get as close with people as through their fictional characters, you know, like it's a perfect way to figure out someone and and what they're like and everything. Um, And I think it's been a great way to get close to those around me Mm. in a really creepy way, you know. I think it's exactly that, that it's a way of being able to experience these things. I mean, we always talk about vulnerability and safe spaces and being able to feel heightened emotions without necessarily having to feel the consequences of those things Mm. that you can Mm. experience your character going through hell literal hell in some cases without having to do it yourself Mm. and getting to explore something going through that that darkness that your character goes through and being able to go well now i know what that might be like yeah i can deal with it Mm. what about you jeremy like Speaking, kind of? speaking of like, I don't know, dark times. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Do I come off as a dark? <laughs> Someone who's no, had to go through know, a lot in therapy because been, of d You've been through a lot uh, these past few years and, um, you know, has D&D been good for that or? It has. Having a weekly game that I could go to with you guys. Um, with Stephen and Elise and Aaron and Mike uh, was wonderful that I knew for three hours, every four hours in some cases every week, I could sit down and I could be with my friends and I could get to pretend to be a half-orc fighter or I could get Mm. to be a dwarf wizard and that was it. Mm. That was all that the world needed to be. That's all I needed to be. Um, And I got to, again, explore a lot of the stuff going on in my life through a different lens, 
I, mm. and that helped in a lot of cases. And I still mm. feel that that's that's something that role playing games are really useful for for myself. That I can that I can give. Well, Ben talks a lot about his villains being his anxieties and and other the other issues that the party then destroys. Something similar. You create a, a monster that is your insecurities and have the party rip it to shreds. And it feels like you've now got power over that. And the fact that you are then controlling it as the game master and saying, no, no, I am in control of you. I am the one that's telling you where you're going to go and what you're going to attack. That can mm. be really helpful. And that's something I feel the role-playing games just really help with. And that's, I think, why I keep coming back to it even more so than just the desire for attention as the game master every time, that everyone's mm. going to look at me and hear my funny voices and my bad singing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that's interesting, the, the, the attention side of things, because, you know, I've been telling a lot of people lately, I, I have played probably more than 500 hours, probably close to 1,000 hours, maybe even more than 1,000 hours of D&D, Maybe like 3,000 hours. I don't know. I've played a lot of fucking hours of D&D over the last four years. So when are you going like, to get good at it? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Times, you know, times, uh, let's say, 10 as an average or maybe maybe 8 as an average times 52 times 4 is how many hours of D&D that I've played over the last four years as a dungeon master but I have played less than a hundred hours over that whole time as a player. Mm. And it's because I, I don't enjoy that experience probably because I'm an attention hog. I don't like sharing the limelight with, you know, up to five other people. Uh, <laughs> I want to be the one who makes all the decisions and mm -hmm. does all the things and is the center of the attention the whole time. And so that's why I make a good dungeon master is because yeah, I don't like sharing. <laughs> what I'm hearing is you just want to be a smaller group. <laughs> maybe i mean i think i would enjoy playing in a group of like literally two or three players plus yeah. the dungeon master um that might be a, a more enjoy because for me like and this is why i have that reputation of grim dark and everything is unfun and and you know i make the players cry all the time but D and uh, role-playing games in general for me is uh, a, an emotional exploration it's about the characters going on a journey and getting to experience emotions that I might not experience in the real world. Because for me, like, this is going to sound odd, but the, like, sadness and in particular, like, the, the feeling of crying to me, I do it so rarely, not because I'm a big manly man, but almost because I'm, you know, cut off from my emotions in a way, um, that it feels like cool rain on a desert mm. is that that it's feeling. cathartic sure and so you know nobody wants to feel emotional pain nobody wants to actually have a reason to cry but when you play role-playing games even video games sometimes in my case um, and you invest fully in the emotional authenticity of the moment you know and you have that emotional catharsis or that um, emotional experience it can be for me more fulfilling personally but just as fulfilling as you know three hours of bouncing off each other and and you know making glib jokes and uh you know at the dungeon master's expense and, and acting all powerful and high and mighty 
the entire time you know like for me dungeons and dragons or, or or playing games in general is not a power fantasy it's almost like a control fantasy if that makes sense it's mm. not about the fact that i'm superman it's the fact that i'm batman which means i'm incredibly mortal and uh, you know dark side can snap me in fucking half in a second but i'm just gonna do the thing anyway because i have no other choice i have no idea how i'm going to surmount the challenges in front of me i will probably die but the virtue and the emotional journey is in the trying anyway rather than the you know passing it off like it's not even a threat mm. Mm. Um, and so, you know, when I really enjoy D and D as a player and as a dungeon master is not, it's why I get upset when, when players don't treat situations emotionally authentic is because I'm trying to put myself out there. But on top of that, I just find it boring if the players kind of skim over things. If mm. I'm as the villain trying to explain my villainous plan it's an uh, it, it's an exercise in sort of express you know my 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 own self expression and maybe I'm being too precious about it, but to have the players just go like I firebolt him I don't care I, I you know I shoot an arrow at him it's just it's just rude frankly <laughs> no um it, it, yeah that I don't enjoy that that kind of flippant mechanical side of of it as much I, mm. I want to immerse myself in the emotions of and the self expression of the game mm. yeah. Um, so maybe that's maybe you're right, Jeremy. Maybe a smaller group is what I need, where it's less kind of bouncy between everybody and more about the the individual characters. Yeah, and it also means that when you're not the center of attention, it's just because somebody else is is there for for right now, and soon enough it'll be back to you. Yeah. Uh, well, I think in a smaller group, uh, in a smaller group, what you get is the opportunity to even if you're not the center of attention, even if the spotlight's not on you you still get the opportunity to engage more often, mm. you know, and, and have that emotional exchange, even if it, the scene isn't about your character. It's not that I'm saying I want my character to be the chosen one or anything like we've already talked about that before, but when you're in a large group, you can go like half an hour without saying anything, you know, or you have to negotiate with five other people that your, your way of doing things on the quest that you're given is the better way of doing it. Mm. When you're in a smaller group, you know, there's not not as much voting on something. You you can reason out uh, a little bit better, um, but be involved in those emotional scenes, even if you're not the centre of attention. Certainly, if we weren't wrapping the show up um, altogether, I would have suggested an episode on acceptance, which isn't just the idea, the mindfulness idea of well, things happen, but it kind of is the idea that things happen. That in a, a gaming sense, it's a, a little bit of the meta part of for the game to continue, we all need to reach an agreement. And that may mean that my character is doing something that they wouldn't normally do, but we're going to do it anyway. And mm. also a little bit of the improv element of yes and of rather than saying, oh, well, if I'd known that would happen, I wouldn't have done it. Being like, oh, no, it's happened. Let's play it out and see where it goes. Mm, uh, and yeah, that, totally. that level of acceptance, I think, is much easier in a smaller group. Whereas a larger mm. group, you're a little bit like, well, we've got three people on this side wanting to do one thing. We've got set four people on the other side wanting to do another thing. I guess you're outvoted and now those people are a bit upset, but we're going to change it the other way. And it's, it can, you start to have voting blocks form and um, diplomacy between sessions and you're playing a completely different game. 
which is not a case of that we've actually had. I'm just using an example out of my brain. No, totally. But it but it becomes more more pragmatic as well. You know, the decision making becomes more pragmatic rather yeah. than um, necessarily emotional. You know. Yeah. Um, uh, some of my favorite moments DMing was literally watching the group tear itself apart because I've put some oh, yeah. possible decision in front of them, and then they. You know, we had some some poor elven dude who was a villain, but nonetheless a real flesh and blood person had trapped himself in a mirror. Was he though? Um, and he was a villain. Yeah, had trapped himself in. No, a mirror. was was he a real bl- blood and flesh person? Yeah, I mean, know? he had he had emotions, he had feelings. Mm. He trapped he himself. Know? He trapped himself in a mirror and had been imprisoned in there for hundreds of years was functionally immortal because he was in this magical mirror realm and so had gone somewhat insane. And though he had done bad things before he trapped himself in there, it was like, should we release him? Does he deserve to be released for the horrible things that he's done? Has he paid his sentence for being trapped in the mirror? And you guys debated it for, I want to say, longer than an hour. Yeah. Yeah. At one point, I think he literally said to us, we need to, like, You've yeah. got 10 more minutes or something like yeah, that. Yeah, we need to move on. I, I remember I got so angry at that. I was just like, who are you to say when we can't, when we can stop talking? You know, This is one thing that I really loved about all the situations that Ben would put us in, that we would like, we would form blocks. Like a couple of us would go, no, no, this is what I think and what we need to do. And usually me on the outside going, my character does not care, but Jeremy thinks we should do this. And we'd always end up with a decision but we never blamed each other for what our characters were doing. It was always, let's blame Ben for putting it on us. <laughs> oh, yeah. The amount of times I've come come home angry at him for yeah. something he did to my fictional character. We know I, who the true villain in this game is. I'm incredibly, yeah, exactly. I'm incredibly surprised that, you know, we've been able to overcome those obstacles. But <laughs> here we are. Maybe that's yeah. why we haven't played as much recently. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> What I think, uh, what I do want to say, it's something that I found a lot more about what I like about role-playing games. And one thing that keeps me coming back to it is actually the repetitiveness of it, which I've only found since we've, since we've started running games a lot more for beginners, that what I really love doing is retelling a story I've already told and just letting someone else experience it anew. Mm. And I didn't realize this was something I enjoyed and I don't think I would have um, unless I was running games where I've all my life since I started discovering role-playing games and discovering these adventures, I would read the adventure and go, that would be really fun to play. And then I would, I'd run a game for somebody. And sometimes it just wasn't enough. They do things and it'd be really cool. I'm like, yeah, but I want, I want to see it again. Mm. I want to watch that movie again. I want to read that book again. And now I'm getting to with a lot of these games that I'm running for beginners that I'm running the same module every single time and seeing all the different ways that they're interacting and seeing all the different choices they're making and getting to revisit the characters that I've built into this scenario and seeing them win sometimes and seeing them lose sometimes. But I'm getting to experience and consume that enjoyment each time. Mm. And that's something that I really, really love out of it because it's not just this cool. I've, I've, it's not the single use bottle of adventures. It's, mm. I get to come back to it again and, and revisit these worlds that I really love. And I don't mm. think I'd be able to do, it's not as immersive as other media. I can watch, I can watch uh, Captain America six or seven times, but it's always going to be the same. If I'm doing that, if I'm doing the same module with a group or six or seven different groups, it will be different every single time. 
Yeah, I think you're right. I, I've run the same modules or the same adventures that I've written myself multiple times again and again and again over the last few years as a professional dungeon master because I don't have the time to invent new campaigns for every group that I'm running games for. And so it necessitates that I run the same stuff over again so that there is no preparation for certain groups. Um, and whilst there is the flip side for me, I kind of am starting to get a bit bored of those specific campaigns, particularly if players are dwelling in a certain area where there really isn't anything to explore, but they, mm. you know, they're having fun. So they keep exploring it. But for me, I kind of know what's there already. I can get a little bit, um, bored but there is the flip side where there are you know certain characters and certain campaigns um that i really get excited about when the players are approaching them you know especially because of the campaigns that i run you know really do stretch on for for months and years um i, I remember there was two characters called the quinn twins um, oh the fucking quint i forgot the about Quinn them. twins yeah the quinn twins um oh, and they were I these identical them. twins um, who present themselves to the party as simple, um, uh, basically like business people who are in the the business of importing and exporting food between kingdoms. Uh, you know, one kingdom is very pastoral and the other kingdom is not. It's more military. And so they make sure that they, they facilitate the trade of goods between the military and the pastoral realm. And that's how they present themselves to the party. But the truth is that they're actually, she's a succubus and he's an incubus. It's a classic and, story, you uh, know, really. The it. two of them, you know, have machinations. Well, hadn't you known that, Jerry? No, I, just thought, I just thought they were vampires. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I didn't realise you didn't actually know what they were. Um, and that they, you know, they had machinations that stretched literally into hell um, and that their their goals for the party were much, much larger. Um, and they didn't really care about the party themselves. They just cared about manipulating the party into doing what they wanted. Um, they weren't out and out villains. They weren't a physical challenge to the party whatsoever, but the party very rarely fought them because they were very clever and very affluent um, and could charm the party, mechanically yes. speaking. This is what I remember most about them now, that my half-orc fighter got charmed by them once, realised that, and the next time he's like, I'm going to fucking kill them. I'm going to kill them. And he charged them the second time, just like picked up his axe and charged, got charmed again. Yeah, well, that's These right. Best friends too. ever. And yeah. every time he would remember, fuck those guys. Yeah. And each time we met, he's like, cool got a new way I'm going to try and kill them. <laughs> and it just never worked. No. That's right. Because you were really low, was it intelligence to get charmed? No, was super it? low wisdom. Oh, wisdom. Yeah. Is he it? wasn't. He was yeah. never actually that stupid. He was pretty smart. Mm. They're, they're the sort of villain, um, the Quinn twins, that they're not the main villain of any campaign. There's kind of like a side villain or a, a side quest villain, if you will. But they're the sort of villain where their presence is felt more than them themselves being in the campaign. You know, you feel their machinations more than you actually see them in person. Mm -hmm. um, and so I love when you get to those characters. You know, there's certain characters that I, villains that I just love. I love the Quinn twins. I love Cygnus Devereaux, who's a, a massive villain from one of my campaigns. I love Bengi, who's this, um, you know, Mark Hamill's the Joker, basically, style character who... I love Bengi. He's a, he's, a, he's a joker. He's a jester. He's... Um, he's a joker. He's a smoker. He's a midnight toker. He has a lot of... 
he has a lot of abilities that allow him to counterspell the party. He also has an ability where when the party tried to heal near him, it, the healing actually gets converted into damage and damages the person who was trying to get healed. Um, death saves are at disadvantage when you're within a specific radius of Bengi. So he really does a lot to disarm the party and and make them... Um, uh, you know, make them powerless against him, and yet he is completely mocking of the party as well, and completely comically vicious to them, which is something that was pointed out to me by one of my groups who faced him. D and D parties don't experience a lot. D and D villains are very used to coming into a room and being like, "I am the Dark Lord, and you will bend to my will." And the party all going like, "Oh, Mr. Fuck Dark off. Lord, yeah. oh, fuck you, tell you are." Eat shit and die, yeah. Um, whether as Bengi kind of flipped that script and so the players would be like, I'm going to fucking kill you. And Bengi would be like, well, you can try your best, kiddo, but in all, in all honesty, you're barely an ant beneath my boot. Uh, and he'd just, you know, completely mock the party the entire time, which the players were not cool with, which I mm, think is completely hypocritical. Um, but the point that I'm making <laughs> is, yeah, I, I agree with you, Jeremy. I have maybe more than, than scenarios. I have characters that I love revisiting and, and seeing how different combinations of people interact with those characters in different ways. Mm. Mm. Well, that's interesting that like, both of us really enjoy, I think it's part of the game master thing, that we found a cool story and we want to share it with as many people as possible. Mm. But what about you, Tori? Do you want to bring characters back for other games? If you, let's say, Mary, your swashbuckling rogue that we talked about in the other episode, that would you want to have her in a one shot just to revisit those skills and revisit those characters? Or would you prefer to just build a character from scratch just for those adventures and that's the one that they experience? Yeah, it's kind of like I feel like your characters are purposeful at the time in which you're you're doing like play rolling role playing play rolling play rolling, what is this play rolling thing um, you refer to is this a new thing that uh, you're doing? Role, role playing them so i feel like bringing them back is um i don't know it's it's very mm. difficult because i've placed i've made my characters very specifically at different times in my life you know so I feel like they're of it's a it's almost like a little bit anachronistic to kind of bring them forward you know they mm. were the, they served their purpose then mm. um uh so yeah i would i would just keep the ball rolling and and create something new you know mm. um i think it's always good to kind of like there have been times where i've been like um oh, do I bring back my favourite character ever? You know, for instance, Isold, which was the character I'm referring to, um, was killed in a TPK and then gave me the option after that day, hey, do you want to bring her back? And it's just like, it doesn't feel right. You know, it's like that that character served that purpose and, mm. you know, it, it seems artificial to kind of bring them out of that certain time, you know? Mm. Um yeah. And I could totally create another Isold 2.0, but it's just, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm very much like a product of the time of which I'm making a D&D character. So on to newer and greater characters, I say. I feel like I'm certainly the same when it comes to making a character that I want to play. 
I want to have them as an individual and they are there for that story and not for another one because I'll create someone new and try something new with that other story. Mm, exactly. So it's kind of like why bring them back when you can create something new and even better, potentially. That being said, I am more likely to bring a character over from one system to another system. Yeah, right. That I would love to bring some of my D&D characters and recreate them for something like Call of Cthulhu or The Witcher because it's a completely different mechanic and they will operate completely differently yeah, from the way they did originally. Yeah, good point. What about favourite moments in... From the podcast? <laughs> well, is that like favourite moments in D&D? You know. Oh, so many. I can't list. Yeah, tell enough. me, guys. What are your favorite moments from my campaigns? Well, the game that I ran, oh, that okay. would probably. <laughs> I was kidding. Oh, well, let's, what, what have you got, Ben? Have you got a favorite moment? Was the TPK your favorite moment? Well, look, this is one of those. Um... This is one of those questions where I undoubtedly have favorite moments, but as soon as you ask me that question, they all just fucking fly out of my head. I know. Um, or you have too many. And you're like, oh, this one and this one and this one and this one. And the thing to know, like, you know, between us and the listeners, but also just between us three, like this, we're not, we're not stopping to play D and D. Like we're no, we're not stopping playing no, know, D and D. We'll just still just continue to play D and D. As to why D and D matters, it, it could yeah. be. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, my favorite moment, I, I have a look, one of the simplest moments, um, there are two simple moments that that we shared, Jeremy. One of them was of greater significance to the campaign. One of them was almost insignificant to the campaign. The first one was, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, I believe, but when um, Kaz, your half-orc, was in among his people, um, the other orcs. And what I loved about that was that Kaz spent, it wasn't just a single moment either. Kaz spent time among the orcs trying to learn about their culture and trying to learn about what made them orc, you know? Um, I remember there was a small moment where basically the orcs live in the desert, um, but it's not their natural environment. They were kind of forced into the desert by the other races and have been living there kind of for centuries, but they're not adapted for it. And so they need to make what is basically sunscreen, but it also acts as war paint. Um, And so they paint themselves in this clay-like substance. And, uh, um, you know, nobody knew that. Everybody just assumed it was war paint to look more intimidating or whatever. But Kaz, while traveling with a, a group of orcs, started asking, like, what's with this war paint? Like, should I paint myself like that? And then they started telling Kaz, no, well, it actually protects our skin from the sun because it's like a layer of, of sort of like water and clay or soft clay or whatever. I don't know scientifically that would work. But yep. the point being that it was something of cultural significance to the race of orcs that was of personal significance to Kaz who did not grow up among orcs, you know. And then later on when I, it was a throwaway line for me, but the one of the orc chieftains called Kaz brother, um, and it was like this real moment of elation for Kaz to, to really feel like he belonged somewhere, you know? And again, it's that mm. emotional authenticity, that emotional moment that we shared in character, um, me as the Orc War Chief and you as Kaz. Um, and there was another moment. You became brothers that day. Yeah, well, you know, for a moment, yes. You know, like if you're playing the, the moment real. Um, there was another time where... I was playing a quest giver called Musharab or Musharib or whatever. I, I never get his name right, even though I said his, I created his name. But um, this was at the very start of a campaign. 
and your character um, was just having a, a one-on-one conversation with him and he was telling your character about the problem that he was having, that his farm was haunted, but it was just, there was silence in the room except for the conversation that we were having. And so I felt totally absorbed into the moment, you know, which is why like crosstalk across the table can be so frustrating um, because it can ruin those moments. And I think as a DM, you have to be aware that you can't let those moments go on too long because it can get boring for the other players. But for whatever reason, maybe that, that specific moment happened to engage everyone else as well at the table. They wanted to know what this quest giver had to say. Mm. But again, it wasn't like this high emotional moment. It was just this quest giver was telling you his farm is haunted and he needs you to go and help lift the curse or whatever's going on, investigate it, because it's his livelihood. It's all that he's got left. And it wasn't this... Oh, yes, I'm Jolly Bobbins. My farm is haunted, mighty hero. And if you are able to lift the curse, I will pay you five shiny gold pieces. It was, my livelihood is under threat and I will have nowhere to live if you do not solve this for me. And this ghost, this wraith, is terrifying. It knocks at the back of my door. Its fingernails rasp against the wood as it tries to force its way in. I haven't slept in days or weeks. I feel constantly tired and yet like I'm being watched as well, you know, and that... That's rough, buddy. That authenticity, yeah. um, which is not what you said at the time, uh, <laughs> that that investment in emotional authenticity is what I remember about those moments. What did he say at the time? I, I, I think at the time... I'm not going to do the accent because Bragi is an incredibly offensive stereotype. Uh, but it probably would have been something like, brother, we will help you. Yeah. There will be no cost. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Like a like a, a genuine empathizing with this NPC, mm. you know, mm. um, a, a moment of empathy between two characters and therefore between two people that are playing those characters. Mm. That's what I strive for in D&D. I usually love the the quiet moments of serendipity. And a lot of this is, it can just be down to soundtrack sometimes. Just yesterday I was running a game where after oh, nearly 18 months of hunting down a villain, the party caught up with him just as he was about to achieve what he's been dreaming of and realising that's not what he wanted. Um, they kill him and realise there is a bigger evil in the room and the soundtrack just stopped. <laughs> and the, and then there's this very slow beat started on the playlist, which I hadn't planned, but I, I picked the playlist already. And it's almost like they're fighting in silence and trying to figure out what the hell do we do next? And it just those are the moments I remember when I'm not expecting something really big. But mm-hmm. again, like those conversations where you're just there in the moment, you're in the character's skin and you know exactly what's happening around them, even though you're sitting in a room, you're sitting in an office, mm. you're sitting on your couch on Zoom um, talking with people. Mm. It's, yeah, those are my favourite moments and I have too many of them to list. Mm. What about you, Tori? What's what, some of your favourite moments? Yeah. We'll see. Bring us home, Tori. We'll see Ben... Uh, you're in the doghouse again. Uh-oh. You know what I'm going to say? When you all died? I don't know. No. Um, I'm going to say a curious, a curious one, but one that Ben that should have mentioned to refrain from being in said doghouse. Um, 
but it was when Mary found something interesting in some treasure uh, one day. <laughs> and <laughs> it was, uh, I was, I was paying attention, but I was drawing and I tend mm. to get very engrossed in that. Um, and um, Mary, I think, was very, very, um, what's what's the word that she's just... Greedy? I guess greedy is a good word for it, um, with respect to any gold. So, of course, uh, goes to the chest and opens it up and everything like that. And then Ben proceeds to say all these nice things about a person who wrote a letter to their loved one and was saying all these lovely, beautiful things. And, uh, yeah, and then he proposed to me and I thought that was quite nice as a moment. But I also like that moment because, like, it's just like I was with my family. Like, this is the family that we've created with D&D and they were all there for such a big moment. And it was perfect in a lot of ways um but i think it just kind of speaks to this relationship we've all formed with one another and how that has been largely fostered through dnd as well you know mm. so ben. <laughs> why was that not on your checklist ben that oh you want me to a... answer that question oh, yeah no 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 <laughs> That, no, they are collaborative for a reason. Yeah. That we can sit around and tell our stories to ourselves as much as we like. And even telling them to somebody else is fun. That's what writing is. Mm. But getting to share those moments in game or out of game and getting to share them with people you care about is it's why you come back every week. Exactly. Exactly. Otherwise, it wouldn't be as special, hmm. I think. And that was, that was a wonderful moment, particularly that while you realised a number of us around the table realized a little bit sooner what was happening. Really? Certainly I I was taking notes and I just realized about 10 words in, hang on a second, this isn't just a note that's been found. This is something else going on. And I put it down and just went to, to watch you instead. And I think there was footage of it yeah, too I think, because um, other people realized much earlier than I did. I think maybe that's how we um, advertised for for this uh, last episode, we put the other footage up. Um, but no, I remember idea. I remember when um, Aaron was like writing notes about like, okay, who is this person and what's the person that they're writing to? And then he just like kind of smiles a little bit and puts down his pen and paper. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah like I think I, said, I was about 10 seconds behind him. Yeah. Like I said, D&D has literally factored into every facet of my life personally and professionally over the last four years. So... I'm making it all about me again in this final moment. Um, it's you know, all or, about or, your attention. Let me say it has factored into all of our lives, literally all three of us personally and professionally over the last uh, four years. So Yeah, and this podcast has been a, a big part of that. So it will be sad to say goodbye and say a farewell to our lovely listeners who have given us so much feedback over the years and given us wonderful questions and um, approaches. Some of them have become very good friends. We could shout out a few of them, but there really are too many, too many to call. Um, and we don't want to leave anyone excluded. So we'll just, we'll just say thank you to you all. Uh, we will be out there on the internet doing other things. Uh, I have my other podcast, Tell Me About Your D&D Character, where I basically do this 
with a whole bunch of other creators um, and how D&D has affected their lives. And also with our good friend Mike, I'm currently wrapping up um, the first season of D&D and TV where we looked at the show Invincible and how you'd be able to use some of the storylines and characters for those in your RPG games. But I've got other stuff coming up in the future and those two will continue uh, before too long. So head over to to those if you'd like. I'll put links everywhere, of course. We'll be promoting ourselves as much as we can. Um, But Tori, you're on social medias as well. Yeah, I'm on TikTok at the moment talking about literature. Um, uh, Trying to at least do one post a week, sometimes two, um, depending on how my drawing skills add up onto the uh, chalkboard we have at home. But um, yeah, if you want to learn more about some classics and even some trash, give me a follow at doc underscore underscore Tory T O R Y, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll venture into the abyss together. <laughs> <laughs> and Ben, yeah, uh, you can find me on Instagram at melb underscore dm. I'm also on Twitter under that handle uh, for the time being. Um, and yeah, go and subscribe to the Ghostfire Gaming YouTube channel, I think is where you will next see me um, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we will probably, or months possibly, I'm not sure, um, but we will be pumping out some D&D content there. So you have definitely not seen the last of me either. Um, and if you want to send any emails that will reach both myself, Tori, and Jeremy, um, you can hit me up, ben at melbournednd.com. Um, just shoot us an email there. And the other thing is our Discord is not going to go away straight away, no. um, but we may maintain this community and actually migrate you across to the Melbourne Dungeon Master Discord server um, where it doesn't mean you have to be a client of Melbourne Dungeon Master at all, but we might start to, to develop a little D&D community there um, uh, in lieu of the the of Dice and DMs community. So uh, hopefully... There'll we'll, be a merger. A merger of A ones. merger, yeah, exactly. So hopefully we'll uh, see some of you uh, there and continue some of the cool conversations that we've been having. So, again, I want to say thank you to everyone who has supported us through these last nearly three years, two and a half years at least, of, uh, yeah. of listening to the podcast, 137 episodes. Yeah. Um, more, if you can, all the bonus episodes that we've had in. Um, it has really been appreciated. All of your kind words and your feedback has um, been loved every time we receive it. There's always a bit of a glow in the in the group chat whenever we get something. Uh, but for the last time on the podcast, but not the last time, I'm sure, may all your hits be crits. Bye. Thank See you. ya. Ciao. Mm.